0: We've all heard of William Shakespeare, I'm, I'm sure. He's one of the greatest writers uh, in, the, in the English language of all time. And although it's been 400 years since uh, he has passed uh, from this world, uh, we still study him in school. Our kids are learning about him, and they learn about you know some of the great things that he has written, such as Hamlet, and Romeo and Juliet, and Macbeth. <laughs> But there's a startling fact about Shakespeare that maybe you're not as familiar with. Um, When his daughter, Judith, was married on the marriage license, she just simply signed her name with an X. Well, what does that mean? Well, what that meant was that she was, in other words, illiterate. She did not know how to read or write. And considering the time period, you know, that's not uncommon. It's not uncommon, but here's a question. How is it that one of the greatest writers in the English language allowed his daughter to grow up to be illiterate? You would think a man like Shakespeare, reading and writing would have meant everything to him. Uh, Just soak that in. Again, the greatest writer in the English language had children who could not read or write. Well, why? Uh, You know, we don't know the why to that. Maybe he was never around. Maybe he didn't spend time with them. Maybe that just wasn't important to him. We just don't know. But all the way back in the book of Genesis in chapter 1, verse 28, God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. And he intended for mankind to procreate and reproduce and to fill the earth. And because of this, his word throughout scripture... Is filled with admonition throughout the importance of raising godly children. When raising our ch- our kids in the church, we are obligated, as the Proverbs writer in Proverbs twenty-two six said, to train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he might not depart from that. In Deuteronomy chapter six, verse seven, Moses had a lot to say about raising children, and he said that. In particular, in verse 7, he said that we need to teach them about God while sitting in our house and by walking by the way and when we rise up and when we lie down. In essence, what he is saying is that every aspect in our lives, we should be teaching our children about God in the home, outside of the home, when they're waking up, when they're going to sleep. Ephesians 6, 4, Paul said, the fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. See, the goal of godly parenting is to rear godly children. We teach them, again, about God, not just in the church building, but in the home, so that when they leave home, they are going to be grounded in God's love, grounded in God's truth. And that's a motivation for all parents, for all grandparents, for all guardians, that we want our children to go to heaven. I want my child to go to heaven, so I'm going to do whatever I can with the the short time period that I have with them in my home to teach them about God, to prepare them for eternity uh, in heaven. I want to do all those things so that they don't end up like another Judith Shakespeare, right? Someone who um, was not prepared. And we can look at no greater example than Daniel chapter 1. So if you have your copy of God's word this morning, I invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 1. That's where we're going to look at the lesson this morning on rearing uh, godly children. Now, subsequently enough, uh, Daniel's parents are never uh, mentioned within the scriptures, his upbringing, his home life. But we're going to see from this example in his life that his inf- their influence is seen in the way that he acted and in the faith that he had. So let's notice in Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1 through seven. Let's get the background of this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Asphanez, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, Youths in whom there was no defect, who were good looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now, among them were the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So Daniel and his three friends... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken into this this Babylonian captivity that would have happened around 606, 605 BC. There were multiple captivities, but this was the first wave. This was the first one. And the Lord gave King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the the king of the Babylonians. And we're also told not only some of the people were taken away, but they took away some of the vessels, uh, the things uh, of, of value of gold and silver. They took them away as well. And notice who the individuals were that went away. It was the, the royal family members. It was the nobles. It was the youths who had no defects. And the Bible tells us th- these were good-looking young individuals, teenagers who were good-looking, who were smart, who were strong in strength. And, and they were trained in, in the culture of the Chaldeans for, for three years. They were given special treatment, whether it was a food, a drink, an education and really, what they were doing is reprogramming these teenagers, reprogramming them in the Hebrew uh, culture that they grew up in into the Babylonian culture, into the king's service. And, and they were even given new names. Right? Uh, Daniel was given a new name, although throughout Scripture we're always, we always use his Hebrew name. But his three friends, we, we reference to them as their Babylonian names, their new names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's philosophy was to eradicate God from their lives. So to, uh, th- that's why he didn't simply just conquer the land and leave them there, uh, enslaved. But he took them 900 miles north to the land of Babylon to give them no hope. And so we see, and we're going to see in the next few verses, in verses 8 through 16, just how Daniel reacted to being away from his homeland. Let's look at these, these short verses here, again, in Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 16. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. See, this is the key verse right here. Uh, Let's lock in on verse 8 because Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. Now look at verse 9. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are of your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, "Please test your servants for ten days, and let us drink, or let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and in the appearance of the youths who were eating the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see." So he listened to them in this manner and tested them for ten days. Verse 15, at the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were given to drink and they kept giving them vegetables. And so we see here that Daniel set his mind. uh, He set his heart not to defile himself. We'll talk about what that means in a little bit. But he made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's food and the king's wine. And so he sought permission uh, to, to, uh, from the Babylonian commander to not eat from this pagan menu. All right, so so, so the, the commander is reluctant in verses 9 and 10, not wanting Daniel and his friends to look different, to look malnourished compared to the other youths. He was concerned about this, not for their safety, but for his own. He didn't want to lose, uh, as he said, he didn't want to lose his, his head to the king by, by uh, not feeding these children as he had been told to. And so Daniel gives a recommendation in verses 11 through 14. He says, let us try this 10 day diet of vegetables and water only. And the challenge was accepted and the young men were to be observed at the end of the 10 days. And as a result, in verses 15 through 16, their appearance was better than the youth who were eating the king's choice food. And as a result, the commander allowed them to continue on with this diet. Again, we can learn several several lessons here this morning from this text, several character traits that we see in, in, this, in this teenager, Daniel, and his three friends as a result of the godly parenting that they would have had, the, the teaching, uh, it's apparent there. And I want us to notice some of these this morning uh, as we uh, contemplate uh, these lessons that We should be able to teach our youth that we see here in Daniel chapter 1. And the first is the willpower to resist evil. We see Daniel has the willpower to resist evil. See, the Babylonians, they might have changed their names, their physical names, but they could not change their nature. And so Daniel and his three friends, they're taking a spiritual stance. Right. They're, they're standing there and they're saying that this food was unclean uh, to, the, to the Jewish, uh, to the Hebrew. Uh, this food would have been unclean to them. And so it would have been a sin for them to eat it. But also, this food was probably dedicated to the false gods uh, that the Babylonians served. Right? And, so, and so Daniel did not want to eat that. Uh, his friends did not want to eat that. And they would have been familiar with the Ten Commandments. Right? The Ten Commandments that, that Moses gave in Exodus chapter 20. And that first one, you shall have no other gods before me. Right? So that, that would have been on Daniel's mind as, as that food was placed before him. Uh, the, uh, knowing that there was probably sacrifice to, to uh, false gods. Even in a foreign land, some 900 miles away from where he, he grew up, he didn't give in. Right? This was a test of his faith. Through no choice of his own, he he was placed in this idolatrous surroundings. But we never see Daniel and his friends asking, where is God? Where is God in this situation? Or or they're never rationalizing that since they were taken from captivity and taken far away into this land, 900 miles away, that they were no longer obligated to keep God's law. No, of course not. That's not how Daniel uh, reacted to the situation. And, And friends, the faith of our children Will be tested one day, eventually, the same way. You know what's what's going to happen the first time they go away to um, a friend's home or they go away to college for the first time. You know, and they face situations that they would never face in their own homes, in their own parents' homes. Are they going to resist and be like a Daniel, or are they going to succumb to the peer pressure uh, that we see so often uh, in the world? Our youth, they need to know that. That they have the ability to stand up to evil. They put on the full armor of God that Ephesians 6 talks about. They put on all of those, those pieces of that armor so that they can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. But the Bible also says that there are times when we need to flee. We need to flee from evil. See, both of these take courage. Both of these take willpower. Both of these are biblical concepts. Fleeing, getting out of there, getting out of that situation we 're reminded of genesis thirty nine of Joseph right Joseph was in the house of, of his master Potiphar, and his wife was advancing towards him and what did Joseph do? Joseph fleed or he fled, he got out of there, and the Bible in the New Testament tells us in other situations where we need to flee from different circumstances. We need in first Corinthians six eighteen we need to flee from sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 10.14, we need to flee idolatry. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 10 through 12, we need to flee from the love of money. And and Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.22 that we need to flee from useful lusts. See, anything that we would have a strong desire for, whether it's material, sexual, if it's ambition, it's an addiction, anything that is strongly desired, we need not learn to accept it. We need... To learn not to negotiate with it. But we seek safety and flight as Joseph did. But see, but then there are also times that we need to stand up. Uh, as Daniel did here in this account in Daniel chapter 1. He said we are not going to eat this food. James chapter 4 verse 7 says that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. See, there are times when, when, when it's appropriate for us to flee. But there are also times that when we stand up. The devil will flee from us, and as just important, our youth need to understand. Turn with me to First yes, First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirteen. They need to understand this verse. This is an important verse. First Corinthians ten, verses thirteen. Our youth need to know that when temptation is involved, there is always a way of escape. Paul writes here, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide you the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. See, we, we, we have the opportunity to walk away or, or to flee, you know, even if that means embarrassment, even if that means loss of friends. God will always provide us a way of escape. Or maybe it's to stand up, to stand up and say no. Again, this might not be the popular choice, but we have the ability to do that. And God says he will always, always provide a way for escape. See, our children need to understand that they need to have the willpower to resist evil. Secondly, the second lesson I want us to notice in Daniel chapter 1 is that we need to teach them that they should have the courage to voice concern when, when it comes to these types of potential dangers. Again, Daniel made up his mind not to sin against God in Daniel 1 verse 8. Daniel was not going to take no for an answer. And our, our youth need to understand that in our homes and in the church here that we are going to teach and we're going to preach the whole counsel of God. Right? From, from Genesis all the way to Revelation that we're not going to leave any command um, Left uh, or buried, that we're going to teach every one of these, but also th- doing it, we are going to speak the truth in love, Ephesians four fifteen. That we're going to teach these things in love and in a caring manner. You know, our our, our youth and also us as well. We are bombarded every day. Right? You turn on the television set, the news, the, the commercial, the social media, with with sinful. Lifestyles. Right? Jeremiah talked about this uh, in in his the prophet talked about how you know it came to a time when people forgot how to blush, and we're living in a time when people have forgotten how to blush because this is it's in front of us, and we're told that if you know if we don't agree with it, if we don't speak up for it, you know we're part of the problem, right? We're we're part of uh, we're being unloving. But Daniel, we see in this account, he respectfully. Found a solution to the problem. He didn't sit back and say to himself, I have no choice. He didn't compromise. Again, he didn't agree. He didn't approve of the menu. He didn't want to defile himself before God. And our youth, they need to understand that living a life for God, living a life for Jesus Christ, is going to involve possibly being persecuted. Well, it will involve being persecuted. Second Timothy, chapter three, verse 12, Paul says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so they need to understand that they need the courage, the courage to speak up in these situations. And will our children have the courage to do this? Will they have the courage to do the same? You know, we often say that children are like sponges. Right? They're like sponges. They soak up everything around us. They see us. Uh, living And they want to imitate us as their parents. We need, as parents, as grandparents, uh, as those who are around them, we need to let them see our faith. We need to let them see our faith living out in front of them. Again, souls are not one here in the church building. It's not enough to bring them to Bible class and to worship. That's a great start. That's a foundational start. But it's got to be out in, the ho- in our homes. It's got to be Monday through Saturday. They need to see it. Uh, They need to see us living our faith. Lessons to teach our youth. Willpower to resist evil. Courage to voice concern. We also see Daniel having a determination to do the right thing. Determination to do the right thing no matter the consequences. Again, Daniel spoke up for God, we see here. Remember in Acts chapter 5, when the apostles had just been imprisoned and beaten for speaking about God, and they were told never to do that again, to stop doing that. Remember what they said? We must obey God rather than men. Acts 5, verse 29. See, our youth need to understand that friendship with the world, as James 4, 4 says, is hostility towards God. If we try to make friends with the world, we're going to make an enemy of God. You know, a lot of us probably can think back in our lives, maybe when we uh, were around that age, Daniel was, and some of the things that we might have done. You know, f- for instance, for myself, I remember going away uh, to college, uh, just becoming a Christian. I-, I just became a Christian, and then I moved an hour away and went to college. And I had to make some tough choices uh, on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. Where was I going to be? And every time I read Daniel chapter 1, it puts me to shame. It puts me to shame to think of Daniel taken from his homeland, 900 miles away, yet he made the right choices. It didn't matter to him if he was an hour away or 900 miles away. And what conviction we see in him that he didn't fall to the peer pressure around him or compromise his faith. He stayed faithful in a foreign land. He stayed faithful in a foreign land. Again, when we think of that, whether it's going away to college, whether it's going into our workplaces every week, when we go on vacation, we need to be like Daniel. Daniel 1 verse 8, to make up our minds, to follow God no matter the circumstances. See, we all experience foreign lands. Um, you know, it just, it just represents being away from home, being away from what's normal. Uh, when no one is looking. Are we going to do what is right? Are we going to have the integrity to stand up for God when no one is looking, when our parents aren't around, when our family isn't around? Are we going to do the right thing? Daniel did that. What a great example he is for us. The last one, just shortly, I want us to notice is Daniel had a respectful demeanor towards authority. You know, we don't see this much today. Uh, He didn't throw a fit. He didn't start a revolt. He didn't come with an attitude of he was holier than thou because he was God's child. But when dealing with authority figures, we we can learn from Daniel that our youth need to understand to obey their parents and honor them. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Paul here writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So that it will be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. See, it's not just about when we are living at home, but we are to honor our mother and our father throughout life. And as in as the result, Paul tells us that we will it'll be well with us and that you may live long on the earth. And it's not only with our parents, but also the Bible in in different places in the New Testament speaks of how the Christian should respond to authority uh, to the government, perhaps our youth need to understand that we we need to be submissive. Again, uh, except for uh, what they said in, in Acts five verse twenty nine, we must obey God rather than men. Right? If the government is to put us in a situation where we are not going to be able to obey God, then uh, then that's when we would not follow the government's recommendations. But here uh, in in First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Peter has something to say about this. He says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Titus 3.1, it says, Remind them to be subject to the rulers. We're also told to pray for our leadership. Pray for those who are in authority. Why? Why? Well, it's because God wants us to live in these orderly societies. See, many people, and I like this quote that I was reading this past week, many people seem to think that heroism is shown by rudeness, right? That, that to be a hero, you need to barge in the door and come out with guns a you know, and, and stop the evil that's going on. But we don't see that, again, by Daniel. Daniel modeled a different attitude. It was one of kindness and conviction, and he was successful, And if we're going to treat uh, everyone, everyone, even those who think differently from us, who have different ideologies, we need to treat them as the precious souls that God created them. They were created in God's image, just as you and I were. Daniel understood that. And it's important that we stand for the truth as well. But we also check our attitudes and our motives. See, it is a great responsibility It's a great responsibility laid uh, at parents' feet, at the feet of grandparents, again, guardians. What an example Daniel is to us. And children, children, if you're listening, you want to make your parents proud? Live like a Daniel. Live like Daniel. And what example Daniel's parents are to us. Again, we don't read about them. We don't know who they are. But we see it through the life of Daniel. Parents, do we want our children to to be respect to respect and love God as much as Daniel did. We need to raise them to be like a Daniel. Will our youth be ready? Will our youth be ready or or again like Judith Shakespeare, like Shakespeare's daughter, will they be unprepared for this life? Daniel again away from home in captivity but in an ungodly nation, we see that he was prepared. He was prepared for life away from home. Friends, make up your mind today to be the parent, the grandparent, that that influence in a child's life that God wants you to be. Live out your faith in front of them. Let them see that so that that when they are old enough to to go out on their own, that they will be able to develop their own faith. Live like a Christian. Not just on Sundays, but every day of the week. Be their example. Let them see Christ in you. We're told to be imitators of Christ. Let them see that. Revere the Lord. Revere His holy word. Make it a priority in your family's life. Again, so that when they leave home, they will purpose in their heart. They will set in their hearts to live righteously before their Heavenly Father so that they can stay faithful in a foreign land. This morning, if you're here with us, and and maybe you're not a Christian, maybe uh, this is your first time visiting with us, we would love the opportunity to study with you, to to show you what the Bible says in order to become a Christian. That we we hear the Word of God, that that we believe that it's God's Word, that uh, we repent of sin, we turn away from stuff that is contrary to God's Word, and turn towards Him. And that we confess Jesus as Lord, and that we be immersed in water, the waters back here prepared. Uh, for the forgiveness of our sins. At that point God washes away our sins. And we are added to his church. Not our church. But to his church. We would love that opportunity to study with you. Or, or, or to help you in your walk this morning. To becoming a Christian. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian. Again this is, this is the, the best place you can be. Uh, if you're needing help, if you're needing the prayers of this congregation, if you're needing the help of the Christians here to pray for you, to help you on your journey, we would love that opportunity to help you. If you can make any of those needs known this morning, we'd ask that you come forward as we stand and sing this song of invitation.